Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you and study your word. We ask you to guide and lead us, show us what you would want us to see. And Lord, we do pray for the town of Chloride and all that's going on and that you're moving and Satan doesn't like that. And we just ask you to bless each activity that we do in your Jesus name. Amen. All right, we're in 2 Samuel 17 still. We had the advice of uh, Ahithophel in the first part of the chapter to say, go chase David while he's, while he's not organized and he's tired. And uh, Absalom decided to ask Hushai his advice. And Hushai said, you know, flattered him and said, you know, you really should wait, get the whole army together. Uh, get your strength together because you know your dad's a real strong warrior. He's, you're not going to take him, take him by surprise. And remember, we talked about uh, uh, Ahithophel's advice was the at the point that they were at was the best advice. It would not have been as easy as Ahithophel thought it was going to be, but he would have probably been able to take David with 12,000 men. You know, they would have taken losses, but they would have taken David and his men. And he would have, David would have been killed at that time. Hushai's advice was bad advice for the time they were in, because that gave David an opportunity to get located, get organized, and everything. Uh, if it had been a month or two later, Hushai's advice would have been the better advice, and Ahithophel's would have been bad advice. But God had answered the prayer of David turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. And so God was in this. God was in this. Uh, Hushai did enough flattering to Absalom to make him decide his was the better advice. And that's where we left off last week. So, verse 15. Then said Hushai unto Zadok and Ahithophel the priest, Thus and thus did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and thus have I counseled. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, Lodge not this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily pass over, lest the king be swallowed up and all the people that are with him. Now Jonathan and Ahithophel stayed by Enrogel, for they, for they might not be seen to come into the city, and a wench went out and told them, and they went in and told King David. Nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom, but they both of them went away quickly and then and came to a man's house in Beharim, which had a well in his court. Whither they, did, they went down, and a woman took and spread a covering over the mouse, well's mouth and spread ground corn thereon, and the thing was not known. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman, to the house, they said, Where is Ahimazah and Jonathan? And the woman said to them, They be gone over the brook of water. And when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. And it came to pass after they were departed that they came up out of the well and went and told King David and said unto David, Arise and cast quickly over the water, for thus hath Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose and, and all the people that were with him, and they passed over Jordan by morning light. There lacked not one of them that was gone, not gone over Jordan. Okay. Remember that Zadok the priest had wanted to join David. He, not only did he want to join David, he brought the Ark of the Covenant with him to support, to go with David. And David sent him back. And if you remember, he said, you've got some sons. You can let them be 
nice spies. <laughs> you know, they can pass back and forth. So Hushai went to Zadok and to Abathel the priest and said unto them, this is what Ahithophel said, this is what I said, now let David know. <laughs> All right? Let David know you, you guys are the, the carriers, so David can know what's going on in the court. And this is something we see, there's going to be consequence to this action. We're going to see that they're seen. And now Absalom knows that these guys, at least, if not the two other priests, but the sons of the priest, are not on his side. <laughs> And that's going to cause problems later on you know, in this chapter. And again, David's asking them to spy. He's not asking them to do what they're supposed to do, and it's going to cause problems. David has a lot of problems with this, asking people to do things that aren't the right thing to do. Now, we understand, and, and we see it all the time, we have spies in war. When there's war, there's spies. There's people that are looking on and letting other people know what's going on. And... Whether it's good or not, I don't know. I really have a hard time because really you're lying to somebody. And I have problems with it. Just because good may come out of it does not mean that it's a good thing. It's the problem that we had when we saw, if you read the book, uh, The Hiding Place. The family, everybody in the family could lie real easy except for uh, her sister. You know, uh, Corey's sister could not lie. And... She just couldn't bring herself to lie, even though it kept the family out of trouble and helped all the Jews. She could not bring herself to lie. And this is something each person is going to have to take into consideration. You know, God says to speak the truth. So if we're not speaking the truth, even though we're doing it for the right reason, where are we with God? And I have a feeling myself that it, you're not in the right place with God. God does not say the ends justify the means. And this is something we need to be aware of. The world's way of looking at things is the, end, the ends justify the means. So I can, as long as I get a good result, then no matter how I get there, it doesn't matter. And God says, no, it's got to be godly. And this is where we see David's asked the priest to spy for him. He's put them in a pretty tough spot. Verse 16. He says, Now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, Lodge not this night in the plains of the wilderness, but pass speedily over, lest the king be swallowed up and all the people that are with you. So here we're seeing him, this is Ahithophel giving advice. Okay, he's an advisor. He was one of David's advisors. Remember, David had two key advisors, Ahithophel and Hushai. And remember in last chapter, we said, it said that when, Hushia, when Ahithophel spoke, it was as if they had gone to the oracle or the prophet. They were, they were hearing from God. And Hushai is now telling David, get out of here. What's his concern? He's kind of concerned that maybe Ahithophel will convince Absalom that his plan was better. Uh, but David, get out of the way. Just in case something happens. Maybe the king, maybe the king is going to think this through, or Absalom's going to think this through and realize that, that Ahithophel's advice was better and go after his dad. So he says, leave the country. Get out of the country. And we see that this happens. And it says in verse 17, Now Jonathan and Ahaziah stayed by Enlogel for that they might not be seen to come into the city and and he went, came, went out and told them, and they, and they went and told the king. So they're staying outside of Jerusalem, 
because they don't want to go in. They don't want to be associated because right now the tabernacle is set up just outside of Jerusalem. Because remember when David was bringing the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant in, and the man touched it, uh, uh, Ahaz, Ahaz touched it and was slain, David left it, that person was, was blessed. He brought, the temp he brought the Ark almost into Jerusalem, but not all the way, and they camped out in this field that David bought for the Lord. So the priests are out there, they're waiting, and it says a woman, it says wench in the King James, but a woman <laughs> went out and gave them the message because they didn't want to be seen coming into the city to be associated with how did we get this news type deal and how did David get this news. So somebody went out to see them and then they went to see David. All right. Uh, then in verse 18 it says, Nevertheless a lad saw them and told Absalom, but they went both of them away quickly and came to a man's house in Baharim, which had a well in his court, and there they went down. We see people hiding in wells a lot in the, in the Bible for some reason. Uh, so they went out, they, they found this, this house out there, and they, uh, somebody on David's side, and they hid in the well. Now one thing about hiding in a well is if you got turned in, there's no way out. You know, you get turned in and you're hiding on somebody's roof as they did with Rahab, or you're hiding in a well, you've got no way out, especially in a well. You can't go down, and you can't go sideways. You've got to go up, which is where the enemy is going to be. So this is quite a bit of trust. They trust this person not to turn them in. And they're hiding in a well. They don't know how deep it is or if there was some kind of platform or something in it for them to stay or they were just lowered all the way down and, and treaded water for the whole night or what they did. We'd, they're in a well. And it might, might have just been a quick cistern, but they were, in, they were in something that is called a well. And it says, And a woman took and spread a covering over the, mouth, the, well, the well's mouth and spread corn thereon, and the thing was not known. So they covered up the well, sprinkled a whole bunch of corn on it like they were doing, you know, corn stalks, corn as if they were sifting wheat or just a storage place, and nobody found the well. Ingenious. And I, and I think, you know, I, mean, I mentioned Rahab. What did Rahab do on the ceiling? She covered them up. She put all kinds of stalks of flask of, of, uh, uh, over the top of them and made it look like they were just thrashing, thrashing their grain, and they were covered. And... You know, we think of the, when I see some of these things, I go, well, these people really weren't that well hidden. God kept them hidden. He kept people's eyes closed. Now, how many times do we think about this? God, we ask as Christians, God, open our eyes so that we will see. But you know, there are times when God closes eyes. Our brother Andrew and God's smuggler had Bibles sitting on the front seat, and one of his prayers was, God, close their eyes so they don't see these Bibles. They looked in and and waved him through. Uh, and he didn't, and they were sitting right there. But in this case, we see they're not seeing him. They're hiding. They know they've been seen. Now, how they knew they were being seen before they left the city, I don't know. You've know, you got to think about They didn't go into the city. A, a woman came out. A lad goes into the city to tell Absalom, and these guys hide. I don't know how they knew that Absalom had been told already, unless they saw the lad and knew, knew what kind of lad, you know, what kind of boy this was. Uh, but they're hiding. 
Maybe the alarms went off. Who knows? I don't, you know, maybe there were some alarms and they heard alarms and they knew what was going on and they hid. But for some reason they knew that they had to hide and they go and they hide. And then it says in verse 20, and when Absalom's servants came to the woman, to the house, they said, where is Ahizad and Jonathan? And she said, they've gone over the book. They've left the town. They've left already. And when they had sought, they could not find him. They returned to Jerusalem. Now, I'm not sure that I would have returned to, to Jerusalem if I had not found it over there and I knew that they were this person's house. I'd probably gone back to her house. But God, again, protecting. As much as God can open our eyes and help us discern things and see through things, he can also blind the eyes of an enemy. Which is why it, I, one of the reasons I have problems with this idea of lying to the enemy, God can, God can take care of us. Sometimes the truth disarms people. You know, and we've seen it on movies every once in a while where somebody says, yeah, they're right here, they're hiding in the back room. Oh yeah, you wouldn't tell us that. And they, get, and, they, and they walk away because it's just, the truth doesn't make any sense. So they go like, you're just trying to play with us and they, and they leave. So we need to be careful. And this is very much true, you know, because a lot of people look at it. Well, it was just a small thing. It was just a small lie to the enemy. The white lie. You know, a little white lie. And, and it was to an enemy. I know of a Christian a business owner who told his salesman that they could say as many lies as they want as long as they didn't say them to Christians. Oh. Oh. And it's like, okay, well, number one, how do you know whether they're a Christian yeah, or not? Yeah. And show me the Bible verse that says you can lie to your Christian. Yeah. I can show it to you in the Quran where they're told to lie, that they can lie to, to, to anybody who's not, to infidels. But that's not in our scripture. God tells us to be truthful, to be honest. So we look at this and say, God, what is it you want us to do? We base our life in the, in the truth of the word of God. Because if there's any place where I'm not going to agree with the word of God, then I've got a problem in my life in the first place. Because if I don't believe his word, what am I basing my life on? And I know we make mistakes. I know that. But if I make decisions that I know are against God's word, I'm not putting myself on a very strong foundation. And there will always be consequences. Always. Always consequences for even a justified lie or deceit or breaking of God's word. Even if I can justify it in my mind, there will be a consequence to it. And this is important. There's going to, we're going to see by the end of the chapter, there's a consequence to this. If you think about something that you know is wrong, but you don't do it, that's still bad, isn't it? Well, I'd be careful on this. If you're tempted with it, it's just a passing thought. No, it's not wrong. But if you're entertaining it and thinking, should I do it? It, it is not, it is wrong. And then you know it's wrong, but and then later on, I know, like, I can't do it, so then you don't do it. This takes us to the, to the idea, you get a momentary thought, I, if I just lie, I can get out of this, because it's a temptation. It's not, that's not, if you just throw it away, nope, that's against God's word, it's not a sin. It would be if you have a lustful thought, you know, something passes through, you see somebody very beautiful or handsome or whatever you do, you know, whatever, and you go, wow, that person's really, you know, good looking, and then you just go, oh, can't go, you know, don't go there. Or do I go take my second, third look and really dwell upon uh, what they're looking like and start going into lust? Now I've crossed over. The temptation is not a sin.
the initial thought is not a sin. But if I dwell on it, I entertain it, then I'm entered into a sin. But remember, Jesus said to lust after a woman is the same thing as to co- well, commit adultery. Laughing, yeah. Well, but the same. Okay, so he's saying that if I for, you know, think about something, it is the sin. Now, are the consequences the same? No. The consequences for thinking about something are not near as bad as the consequences for doing it. All right? And I can just confess the thought real easy. God, you know, get rid of this thing. I, don't, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to do it. And there's no consequence for that. For that. Now, the long-term problem with, with, a, with a, let's say, let's go lust, is that eventually it will produce fruit. If I'm long-term thinking about how could I be stealing, eventually I'm probably going to go just act on it because it starts to, what, what is in your heart comes out, eventually. So even the opposite is true, that if, if you're thinking, well, how can I do this the right way, eventually that comes out. The Bible tells us, out of the treasure, the treasure of our heart, we speak or do. So if I'm always thinking about how I can do things right, eventually I'm just going to start doing those things. If all I'm thinking about is, well, you know, I could really, no, no, I'm not going to, you know, I really could. Nope, not going to do it. Eventually, that's what's treasured in our heart. It will eventually come out in an action. And this is why our thoughts are so critical. You know, if I'm a very angry person and I never really show it, but I'm, it's boiling underneath, eventually it's going to pour out to, against somebody. If I'm having these lustful thoughts, eventually I'm going to do something that's going to act out. If I'm thinking about how I can steal or cheat somebody, eventually, if I keep doing it, it will come out of my heart. Or like you say, the opposite. How can I, God, how can I love these people? Eventually, that love for people will pour out. The initial thought is not the sin. Okay, uh, it's dwelling on it. It's co- considering it. Once you go, once you cross into that dwelling and considering side, now you've crossed into a mental sin. It's still not as bad as actually committing the sin as far as the consequences, but both of them are the same. Okay, Jesus said lust is equal to adultery in God's eyes, but the consequences are not the same. And that's the thing about this is we, we've talked about this, you know, all it takes is one sin to go to go to hell. But what is the sin that sends everybody people to hell is to reject Jesus Christ. Jesus' blood covered sin. So the only thing that's going to send them to hell is to reject Jesus. And the only thing that sends us to heaven is to accept Jesus. So there's one decision in our life that impacts eternity. What do we do with Jesus? But that's the point that she was made, you know, bringing out is that it, I mean, we are, if we commit one sin, we're guilty of them all. Because God says one is all it takes. And he doesn't, he doesn't even grade on a curve. He doesn't say, you know, well, you know, gossip wasn't that bad. That murder, and no, that was terrible. Uh, your lustful thought, not too bad. Uh, your adultery, terrible. Uh, no, he doesn't, he doesn't look at that. He says, you've sinned. Therefore, you deserve death without Jesus Christ. And so this is the point that we have to look at. And this is why we need to be careful looking at other people. I'm just as guilty as anybody else that I'm looking at. When I'm looking at them, well, you're a terrible person. You, you've been robbing people, and you beat people, and you sleep with everybody. You know, you're not like me at all. You know, I, I have pride in my life that's not a problem at all. You know? 
we have to be so careful because we somehow as Christians oftentimes get to think, well, I'm not quite as bad as all those terrible sinners. You know, and we've got to be careful of that. Or I've improved my life so far that I'm not as bad as those terrible sinners. And we need to be very careful that self-righteousness it can, yeah. can deal into us. And without Jesus, we'd be going to the same place that they are. And this is the thing that's going to shock people with, you know, and I've said this many times, it was something I learned a long time ago, you know, two things are going to surprise us in heaven, people are, that are there and the people that aren't there. Right? And the same thing in hell. There's going to be some surprises in hell when people go, what are you doing here? You, you went to church every week. You, you said you read your Bible. You even talked about Jesus once in a while. What are you doing here? Well, I didn't know Jesus. And now I'm here. You know, and that person out there that is doing dumb things and, and sinning a lot, but knows Jesus and just can't get victory because he, he or she won't surrender their life, will be, could be in heaven. And this is something we've got to be careful of. We encourage one another. We build one another up. The thing we want to find out is, is somebody in a relationship with, with Jesus Christ? And that is what's important on it. Do you know Jesus? Is he making an impact in your life? Now, if somebody has no impact in their life, then I'm going to say they're not, they're not a Christian. Whether they're a quote-unquote good person or a quote-unquote bad person, if they don't know Jesus, they're not a Christian. Plain and simple. And again, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody in their 60s, 70s, 80s, gone to church all their life. Good person is, you know, from the, from the looking, realizing that they don't know God. They know the stories about him. They know their Bible inside out. They, they would probably even say that I've been praying most of my life and I've gone to church, but they realize they don't know him and come to, come to him at late, at late in life. So we, need, we never know where somebody's at. And we pray for people, we share the gospel, we live out the gospel. And living out the gospel is probably the most important thing. When you think back over who has made the greatest impacts in your life, especially even before you're saved, but they're usually not the person who talked about God all the time and, and everywhere they went, but they were the one that lived it out. They're the one that you saw when they got abused, they didn't, they didn't uh, lash out at people. When, when some things didn't go their way, they didn't get all irritated and upset and throw things around and, and, and look terrible. Now, it doesn't mean that they were perfect, but you looked at them and said, there's something different about that person. And most testimonies are just along that line. This person cared. They just invested a little bit, a little care, caring, a little bit of love. And, you know, doesn't mean we don't open our mouth once in a while and share Christ as well. But if, we, if our life screams one thing and our words say something else, people aren't going to listen to us. But when we're being kind, we're expressing God's love and his care, and then we turn around and talk about God's love and care, People go, yeah, they live it. They live it. Because the last thing people want to see is a hypocrite. You know, we don't want to be hypocritical in our speech with God. If our life totally doesn't match up God's love and care and grace and mercy, and we talk about God's love, care, peace, and mercy, and how much he's loved us and given us grace and, and mercy, they're not going to believe us. And this is where it becomes very important to look at. All right.
now that we're way off topic, let's get back, let's get back on today's message. And it came to pass in verse 21, after they had departed, that they came up out of the well, and they went and they told King David, and said unto David, Arise and pass quickly over the water, for thus hath Hithophel counsel against you. Then David arose, and all the people that were with him, and they passed over Jordan by morning light. There would lap not one of them that had not gone over the Jordan. So David takes all of the people from the west side of the Jordan to the east side of the Jordan. And remember, the east side of the Jordan is more of the wild area. It's not the promised land. It was where Moses gave the two and a half tribes land because that's what they wanted. And remember, they conquered these people, and they go, these, this land is really good for, for animals. We would, we, would like the, we would like our inheritance on this side of the, of the Jordan River. We don't want to go on the proper side of the Jordan River. We want to stay over here. So David goes, and he leaves Jerusalem's area and crosses over the Jordan. I have a question. Uh-huh. 21. I think in, in 17 it was that they went to go tell King David. I think that if we read it in, you know, in that it would be, they went to tell him and then they realized that they were being chased and went and hid and then they went to go. I'm guessing on that one. Uh, but I think that's what it, what it is. They, they started on this trip and all of a sudden they realized, like I said, when I was reading this, I'm kinda, I had the same thing. Okay, you went to tell him, now you're going back and telling him. But, the picture I have of this is they got the message from this woman. This lad saw this woman go talk to them. Now, how he knew what they were talking about or what was going on, I don't know. He runs, runs to tell Absalom the message, and all of a sudden, the city alarm bells go off. And then these guys go, we need to hide because it's probably us. This is the picture. Now, I can't prove it, but I just have this kind of a feeling that this is what was going on. The, the trumpets and everything sounded to call the guard and and they thought about this boy that it's you know that they'd run back to the city or just guilty conscience and they hid <laughs> that's how I read that okay. that's the only way I can make sense out of it that's what I was thinking. yeah we're going to go tell David and all of a sudden now we have to hide yeah. uh, and then David gets up and leaves the area uh, very wise and again why I think there's some concern from Hushai that maybe somebody's going to realize that Ahithophel's advice was good. All right? Because it was good. God said it was good. He said that Hushai, that God turned Ahithophel's advice. And from a direct perspective, right after David's leave, leaving, that's the best time to chase him. All right? Before him and his army and everything get, get together, even though he's got a, you know, maybe 1,000 people, 2,000, 3,000 people, chasing them immediately before they can get the captains and an organization table put together is the time to chase him. And most of the people would have scattered. They would have had to deal with David and his 600 men, but the young army probably could have done a number, you know, eventually would have conquered David and his 600 men. Not that they wouldn't have done great damage. Now, Ahithophel said, I'm just going to go in, everybody's going to leave David, and I'll, I'll kill David. It'll be a piece of cake. That part of his advice, he was slipping on his advice. His advice to chase David was good. His idea that I'm just going to conquer, I'm going to catch up with David, and, and his 600 tr- trusted servants are going to run away was not, was not uh, good, good thinking. So Ahithophel is slipping. All right? Why? He's seeking revenge. He's seeking revenge, and that's coloring every bit of his counsel. 
And this is the problem that we have, is when we start falling into sin, we start believing lies in our own mind that I can get away with something, that this is the way to accomplish it, that Hitherto was slipping, Hushai's counsel played up really well with Absalom and was able to go forward. But there's still that concern. Maybe somebody's going to realize that that was good advice. So David, get out of Dodge. <laughs> get as far from Dodge as you possibly can so that you can defend yourself. David takes Hushai's advice. And all of his people that are with him are over the River Jordan in one night. Not the River Jordan is that far from Jerusalem, but they get over the River Jordan. All right, verse 23. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey, arose, and got him to his home to his house, to his city, put his household in order, and hung himself, and died, and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. I want to look at that particular statement. Ahithophel, seeing that he wasn't listened to, goes home and, and commits suicide, hangs himself. And people go, well, why? I really truly understand why on this one, or what, what I think is true. Ahithophel knew that by giving David time to, when they gathered the army, that David would be victorious. He just knew David would be victorious. Now he's a traitor. Because if King David takes back over, and he's sure that David, you know, by giving David even a week, three or four days, to get his people in order, gather up some people, put his men in charge of the, of the groups of 10, 100, 1,000 soldiers. He's now going to be ready for battle. He is going to now be fighting Absalom, his son. And when we're in the scriptures, do we see that Absalom is a, is a general? All right? So we've got Absalom leading the troops. Who knows? We don't know where Joab is in all of this. We, we hear nothing about him at this point. Maybe he's retired. Maybe he's not. I don't know. All right. Uh, so he doesn't have... David's not the leader of the army. The general's not the leader of the army. So now you've got to promote somebody to be leader of your army. You're going up against David and his trusted men who now have time to get organized. Ahithophel knew, as soon as his counsel was rejected, he knew David was coming back, or assumed that David was coming back, because he knew that David would have time to get organized. He also knows one other thing, God is on David's side. He knows that David is God's anointed. If he could have knocked him out quickly, he, could have, he was hoping to bypass God's anointing. Now, why he did that, I don't know, but that's beside the point. But he knows David's that David is God's anointed. He knows that David is a leader. He knows that David's key guard is with him. And I truly believe he went and hung himself because he knew that David was going to take over and that his life was forfeit anyway. It was just a matter of time at this point. How long could Absalom hold out against David? And so he just went home and said, okay, I'm, I'm going to be a traitor anyway. I'm, you know, I'm going to take the easy way out. I'm going to get everything all done. and I'm going to just hang myself and be done with it. That is, my, that is my belief, is that he knew the handwriting was on the wall. As soon as, his, as soon as his good counsel was not accepted, he's going, this is it. But doesn't David have a habit of taking traitors back into his fold? <laughs> David has a habit of showing mercy sometimes and being vindictive on others. So I don't know how he would, 
how we would have done this one. All right. Ahithophel knows he's a traitor, probably also doesn't want to be back under David. Okay, whether David forgave him or not, you know, on one side he knows he's a traitor and deserves to, deserves to be hung, and on the other side he's probably gone, I don't want to work for David again anyway, and I'm not going to run away. So he just ends his life. Um, but you're right, David might have forgiven him. He's a great, he's a great counselor. He would never be the trusted counselor, though. Okay, even if his counsel was good, he's never going to be the trusted counsel counselor again. He's he's shown his colors, and so I just look at this one, and because I've heard lots of people, well, why would he have done that? Well, I really think he saw the writing on the wall. He knew that the counsel of a of uh, Hushai was not good counsel at the time, and he going David is going to make David David will be back. We're not killing him. You know, we didn't, we didn't get out there and get, take him out. He's going to come back, and I'm dead meat anyway, or at least I don't want to work for him even, you know, if he does, does come back. Even if he forgives me, I don't want to work for him, and I don't want to run the rest of my life. So he's saying, I'm just going to take, quote, unquote, the world's easy way out, just end my life. All right? That is my belief. I'm, I'm not going to stand hard on it. If somebody wants to come up with some better idea, that's fine. But that's what I've always thought when I read this. He knew, he knew the, the writing on the wall, or at the very least did not want to be in David's court anymore. All right, verse 24. Then David came to Mahanaim, and Absalom passed over Jordan, he and all the men of Israel with him. And Absalom made Amasah captain of the host instead of Joab. And Amasah saw a man's son whose name was Ithar, an Israelite, and went in unto Ab Abigail, the daughter of Nahish, sister to Zeruai, Joab's mother. So Israel and Absalom pitched in the land of Gilead. All right, so we have here David's running. Absalom comes over. Absalom's gathered up the entire work-armed uh, forces of Israel, all the fighting men. That means everybody from age 20 to 50 have been gathered up. If they did their job, according to Deuteronomy, he gave them the options to get out. And there were several options that they would give them. You know, who's afraid, who's too afraid to go to war, go home. Who just got married, go home. Who just built a house and hasn't had even a chance to sleep in it, go home. I don't know that Absalom has done all of this. Uh, he's, he's a traitor. He's not following God in the first place. So he may or may not have done his due diligence with God. Uh, but it's important. He took Amasai and made him captain instead of Joab. So Joab's still around. Joab hasn't followed David up to this point, apparently. Or maybe Joab did leave and he has no choice but to promote somebody. I don't, don't know because it doesn't tell us. But he makes Amasai. Amasah, the captain. Amasah is David's great nephew. And Amasah saw a man's son whose name was Ithar, an Israelite, and went into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister to Zezra, Joab's mother. That went in. This is kind of an interesting statement. I'm not quite sure what they're trying to say there. Yeah. It sounds like he saw an Israelite that went in to lay with 
with uh, the, daughter. the daughter, the sister of Zerah, so one of his relatives. But I'm not sure what the point of it, putting it in here is. All right? Uh, and I didn't notice that earlier. I'm going to have to look up this guy and see if he's mentioned anywhere else out there. Uh, we went into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash's sister. So you got Zerai, Zer uh, Jake, um, Joab's mother, which is David's sister. So this is his sister, and Nahash, which is the sister to her. So he's the daughter of Nahash, and that's Abigail. So this is related to David, thy sister. Let's see, niece, great niece. <laughs> so this Ithar went into David's great niece. And that's where Amasa came from? It, this is the thing I'm not following, which yeah. Amasa saw whose name, saw who, and at which Amasa was a man's son whose name was, oh, that's his, that's his relationship. Okay. He's David's great, okay. great, great uh, nephew. Okay. I was, I, had to, I missed a word in that statement because I was trying to figure out what, what is this? This is his relationship. Right? Um, so he is related to David. By a couple generations down, but he's related to David. Because I, I read was, was gone in, and I'm going, no, that's not what it said. <laughs> so. Zeruai is David's sister. Zeruai is David's sister. Uh, Nahash is. Sister to Zeruhai, so he's, she, she, she is a sister, and Abigail is a daughter of Nahash, and then we come down to Ithar. You're right. great so great nephew, he's the great nephew <laughs> of David. I figured it all out on paper, and I lost my paper that said that. So. And then it says, so Israel and Absalom pitched in the land of Gilead. Gilead is very pastoral land on the, west side, or the east side of the Jordan River. Uh, it has vineyards and it's, it's pasture land. So it's, David is not hiding in the rocks and the caves like he did with the, when he was hiding from Saul. He's hiding in pretty lush territory at the moment. Verse 27, and it came to pass when David was come to Mahanaim that Shubai, the son of Nahash, of Rabbath, of the children of Ammon, and Michal, the son of Amiel, of Lodabar, and Barziliah, the Gileite of Rogagim, brought beds and basins and earthly, earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and parched corn and beans and lentils and parched poults, honey and butter, sheep and cheese of, the, of cows for David and for the people that were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Okay, so here, you know, it's kind of interesting when we think about David goes into hiding and it seems like everybody and their brother knows where David's at. Even when he was hiding from Saul, people were joining his side and, and bringing food to him and all these things. And Saul could never find him. Everybody else in the kingdom of Israel can find him, but Saul can't find, and his army can't find him. Maybe I think that God had his eyes closed. God closed their eyes. 
Here we've got Absalom chasing his father to go kill him. Doesn't seem to know exactly where he's at. And this list of, list of guys bring all kinds of supplies to David. Is, not, is this Nahash the same as the Nahash? No, because this, this Nahash is of of the children of Ammon. Okay, cool. So this is a different Nahash. Same name, different, different person. Because David's, David's family, remember, is from the tribe of Judah. They're Israelites. These people helping him are the inhabitants of Gilead in, in the Ammonites area. All right, so not the same. Good, good question. I was just getting ready to mention that. It's not the same Ahash. All right, so we have these group of people, and they're going, let's, let's bless David. You know, let's give David, and what a list of stuff. They bring him water and all kinds of things, things to eat with, and basans, which are great big bowls of things, you know, great big pitchers, more or less, holding 50, 60 gallons of liquid. Uh, earthen vessels, wheat, flour, parched, honey, butter, sheep. When you see the word kine in the Old Testament of King James, it's a cow. It's from the, it's from the Germanic roots, and a kine is a cow in German. Uh, so they go and they bring it, and they go, the reason they bring it is it says the people are hungry and tired, and they're thirsty, and they're in the wilderness. Gilead is not great wilderness. Well, Gilead is wilderness, okay? It's not desert. But it is wilderness, all right? And you've got to think, David lives in Jerusalem, and he's been living in the city. Most of the people with him are in the cities. They may or may not know how to get around in a green, green pasture. Uh, in uh, American history, we had the, the Trail of Tears where they changed Indians from the East Coast that were used to forests and and swampland, moved them to the desert, took the desert Indians, moved them to the swampland, and just about killed all the Indians out by taking them out of what they knew how to do. Because the Indians in the desert knew how to, how to live on a desert, and now all of a sudden they got water everywhere, but they don't know what to do. They don't know what, how to get the food they have. They don't know the animals that they're having to, to, to battle. They're, they're familiar with rattle, you know, rattlesnakes and, and all that. Now they've got cottonmouths and alligators and everything else that they don't know what to deal with. Uh, the food that they have, they don't know what they can and can't eat. The Indians from the, from the you know, mountains and everything are sent out to the desert. They don't know how to get water. And the animals that they're having to deal with, the same thing. So they pretty much killed off the Indians, not by murdering them directly, but just transferring them. So David's in that same place. This is not his territory. He's used to the rock. I mean, when he was out in the rocks and the hills and finding grass and finding water, he knew how to live in that, in that environment. Would he have figured it out? Probably. He would have put some people around him to learn how to do it. But these guys help him learn and give him some food and give him refreshment. Because one of the hardest things to do is when you're tired and you're not familiar with where you're at is to find the rest and the, and the food. And so these people help them. And they give them beds. I love this. They give them beds. I'm sure they mean the, roll, the rolls and everything to sleep on more than what we would think of as beds. But they give them some place to sleep. They give them uh, water to drink and clean. They give them food. And they give them all kinds of things. What they're hoping, I'm sure, is that David's going to remember them when he goes back. You know, when he gets his kingdom back, he's going to remember that they helped him. They have no reason. They're not Israelites. They have no reason necessary to help him. They have no reason to get involved in a civil war. And yet, they're getting involved on David's side. 
all right? And people remember when they are helped, when they're down. Because right now, David has nothing to give them, okay? He, he doesn't have a kingdom. He doesn't have any gold. He doesn't have any silver. He ran off with what was on his back. He has no way to reward them. They are basically just gambling on, David's going to get his kingdom, and he'll remember us, all right? Coming back to the American Revolution, the French helped us in the revolution, the only European country that would help us. And, we, and the early Americans remembered the French. For, for a long time thereafter, the French were very close allies with America, and America with them. And this is what these guys are hoping. David's going to remember us. We, we, we're pretty sure he's going to get his kingdom back. Which kind of tells you, when you look at this, there's not a lot of hope in people with Absalom. Absalom's flattered his way up, but the people who look at Absalom from the outside realize he's no match for David. If David chooses to, David will win the fight. David would have won the fight right off the bat in Jerusalem if he had been willing to spill blood. But remember, the whole reason he left is he did not want death in Jerusalem because of this. Because he knew people would take sides. And he didn't want brother against brother in, in a battle to get, keep his throne. Not that he was worried about winning. You know, I'm sure he knew that he could, could take his son. But he didn't want to kill his son, number one. He didn't want to kill the people. And we're going to see in the next chapter, he tells the people in the battle, don't kill Absalom. Okay? Don't go kill him. Uh, so we're going to see that this is a problem <laughs> that's out there. And it's going to cause problems later on as well. But here we have David running. He gets away on the advice of Hushai. He gets away, and he gets helped by this group of, group of men. And this is not an insignificant gift. Now he's given them enough to feed David's entire group. We, we don't know yet how many people are in that group, but there's a number of people in his group because David's going to be able to, to defeat Absalom in the battle. And we look at this and say, people realize that Absalom's not that great. All right? Ahithophel says, okay, Absalom, you blew it. I could have gotten David. You blew it. I'm going to go hang myself because my life is over anyway. I can't be counselor to the king. I'm, he's not going to trust me. I'm not, and I don't know that I want to, so I'm just going to end my life because David's coming back. He just knew David was coming back because he knew, he knew Absalom was not capable of defeating his father. These men seem to be up as well. They're pretty sure. David's going back. He'll be king. He'll be able to bless us and reward us. We're going to show kindness to him. So all these people are showing kindness to David. David is known that he, David's a warrior. Why does he not get to build the temple later on when he wants to? Because God says, you've got too much blood on your hand. And he doesn't want to kill his own son. Uh, David is quite a character. David didn't want to have a war in Jerusalem and, and have individuals against individuals. And yet, later on, he's going to see that he has to, and there's going to be a battle. A brother against brother. A civil war is going on right now in, in Israel because Absalom is trying to take the kingdom. All right. We're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you and study your word. Help us, Lord, to follow you in a closer and better way. Lord, teach us to be able to share you with others and, and live a life that shares you as well. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.